Does anyone here remember what happened on April 29th this year? It's amazing how short our memories are. I'm sure you would, yeah. A couple people, very famous people, were married. Yeah. (laughs) Prince William, Kate Middleton, the royal wedding. This was only a month ago now. (laughs) It's amazing how short our memories are. It was watched by millions of people worldwide. In fact, 12 million people alone in Canada. That's a third of our country watched it. And uh, this little girl, it's going to be on the screen, I think, uh, shows how I felt about the whole ordeal. I don't know, you're entitled to like it, okay? You're entitled to enjoy it. I couldn't have cared less. It was just how I felt about it. But I don't think you could have been a human being in a civilized country of the world on that day or the week or the month leading up to it and not known this wedding was happening, right? It was proclaimed by every media station, every TV station, every internet site, every newspaper, magazine, Every conversation seemed to center around it. It seemed like everyone was obsessed with royal wedding hoopla. (laughs) Right? It wasn't that long ago. But why was this? Why was everyone so crazy about it? I would say because the media overhyped this thing to death. It was everywhere. Every form of communication seemed to proclaim this wedding to the world that it was going on. I was thinking about this wedding this week because I was thinking about proclamations. And I was thinking, if the media hadn't proclaimed this wedding to the world, how would we have known about it? Would we have even known about it? Maybe it would have passed in obscurity. Maybe we would have found out that it happened several months down the road. The fact of the matter is, because they hyped it, because everyone was proclaiming it around the world, we knew it was happening. But if it hadn't been, it would have been very hard to even know what was happening. Did you know that, that God has proclaimed his existence to the world? He has proclaimed, of course he has proclaimed much more than his existence. He has proclaimed much about himself to the world. But he has proclaimed this to everyone in the world. We're in the middle of a sermon series about how God has revealed himself to us as humans. How God, the infinite and sovereign God of the whole universe, wants little us to know him. It's quite mind-blowing. That he wants us to know him and to know about him. And so, so far we've seen, we've looked at our consciences, and we've looked at world history, and how these things have revealed God to us. How they've revealed his justice and his holiness, his activity, his redemption, all these things. Today we're going to look at another exciting way that God has revealed himself to us as humans. Ready to dive in? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 19. This is it right about the middle of your Bibles. You're probably going to open up to Psalms. And Psalm 19, this is the Hebrew songbook of Psalms. And we're going to see in this psalm, I think, how creative and how amazing our God is. But before we can begin reading, I want to pray for us and ask God to guide us in this reading of Scripture. Lord, we do thank you today. We thank you for even just bringing us here to worship with your people. 
We thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for the way that you have revealed us, revealed yourself to us. You didn't need to. You could have just left us in the dark, but you chose to reveal yourself, and so we thank you for that. As we look into your word today, we pray that you would guide us, that you would teach us, that you would be working on each one of our hearts. We ask this in your name. Amen. So Psalm 19, written by King David. It has to be one of my favorite psalms in the Bible, and not just mine. C.S. Lewis, who you probably all know, he once said, I take this to be the greatest poem in the Psalter and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. So it's a pretty impressive psalm. We're actually going to divide it in two because there's a lot to see here. So we're going to look at the first half today, and we're going to look at the second half next week. But as we read this psalm, I think we'll see some very clear ways how God has revealed himself to man. Let's start, begin reading Psalm 19, the first four verses. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Do you see how God has revealed himself here? pretty easy. Through creation. Through creation. That's the main idea that we're going to see in this passage today, and that is that God reveals his glory through the proclamation of creation. God has revealed himself and his glory to us through creation. He reveals his glory through the proclamation of creation. Let's read these majestic words again. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world, ends of the world. So this is pretty straightforward. Creation, or the natural world around us, is declaring the glory of God. Now, if the heavens and the rest of creation are declaring the glory of God, the first question we should ask is, What is the glory of God? What is the glory of God? What is this that it declares? A definition that I found says this. The glory of God is the revelation of God's being, nature, and presence to mankind. That's his glory. One theologian says the glory of God refers to the very nature of God made manifest. It is the display of his attributes or characteristics. It's basically a reflection of who he is. The glory of God speaks to his existence, his perfections, his splendor, his awesomeness, his worthiness. It really refers to a comprehensive whole of his attributes. So God's love is an attribute of his glory. So is his holiness, his justice, his righteousness, his mercy, his grace. They're all aspects of the prism of God's glory. And the glory of God, really, if we study the Bible, it becomes the purpose of the entire universe, existing at all. James McDonald says this, Breathless before glory in Psalm 19.1, not even King David could hold back what we all know to be true. The heavens declare the glory of God, the earth displays his handiwork. And when any human being on the face of the earth has a transcendent moment when they see glory, when they witness the handwriting of God, they begin to understand that the glory of God is the purpose of the universe. 
So what of God's glory can we see in creation? What does it actually reveal to us about God? Most obviously, it reveals God as the creator. Creation displays a creator. And a quite creative creator at that. The world has tried for centuries to dismiss this idea. To dismiss God as creator. Saying the world has no need for a creator. And that we and everything around us are all products of evolutionary chance. Many people in our world believe that evolution explains where the world came from. And you might be one of them. You might object to this, saying, evolution provides a viable alternative to all this, to this idea of God being a creator. I would respond that it provides an alternative, but it's not necessarily viable. There are so many issues with believing in in evolution. And I'm just going to... talk a little bit about this, and I should clarify, I'm talking about microevolution. I'm talking about macroevolution, not microevolution. These are very big words. They just mean I'm not talking about the scientific, observable variation within species. We know this happens, okay? I'm speaking of macroevolution, the theory that talks about the origin of the world, the origin of life on Earth, okay? Really, evolution is no better than a hypothesis of one possible way the world came about. And uh, one really striking thing about it, the odds of life coming about, one cell of life, okay? Think about this, one cell of life coming about in the primordial soup. One uh, world-renowned cosmologist estimated the odds of this. He said the odds of one cell of life forming were 1 in 10 to the 3900th power. Okay, that's a one with 3,900 zeros after it. That number that high is considered mathematically impossible. There's been no conclusive proof ever found for evolutionary theory. The evidences that are promoted that you might hear in school, uh, they are, <laughs> they're promoted in textbooks and classrooms around the world. They're so faulty. They fall through again and again. Any kind of probing into the background behind them, and they just fall through. People are being misguided, mistaught, and brainwashed today. They are. And if that wasn't all, the evidence for design in the world is incredibly strong. The irreducible complexity of the human eye the intricate detail we see in DNA, the vastness of the stars in the heaven, the way that our blood clots, it's remarkable in so, so many more ways. These all speak to an absolutely necessary designer behind the design. Francis Collins, who directed the successful effort to sequence the human genome, he said this, it would require more faith not to believe in a design universe than to see it as God made. Richard Dawkins, who's one of the most outspoken evolutionists in the world, he actually admitted this. He said, biology is the study of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. Really? They give the appearance of having been designed? Maybe that's because they are. 
course, he dismisses that whole idea because he assumes there is no God. But as Christians, we believe that God, through creation, is revealing himself as the creator. And creation backs that up. He is the creator. And he's revealing things about himself as the creator. The fact that creation is so beautiful, so majestic, it really implies that God is both beautiful and majestic. His glory reflects who he is. Mark Driscoll says this, God is gloriously beautiful and his creation reflects his beauty with ceaseless displays of breathtaking splendor that cause us rightly to feel in the presence of something sacred so as to create in us wonder and worship. I cannot even grasp how someone can stand before the beauty and majesty of creation and come to the conclusion that it just happened. It just happened by happenstance. That's really unbelievable. When I was growing up, my parents got me a wall calendar to put on the wall in my room. And on this calendar for each month, there was a picture of some amazing scenery around the world. So one month might have had uh, the snow-capped Alps in Switzerland. Or another month would have had this huge, awe-inspiring canyon. Or a huge, the vastness of the ocean displayed. Or just a ginormous thunderstorm and the lightning and thunder. And so they had these pictures, and then on each page in the little corner of the picture just was one little phrase, and asked the question, by chance? By chance? Really? Really? I'm shocked that anyone could honestly believe these things came about by happenstance. And it saddens me. It saddens me that people don't see... God behind the world around them. Don't you see your creator? He's a breathtaking and awesome maker. He's given you this creation to reveal himself to you. It proclaims him. What else can be learned about God through creation? Well, we see his transcendence, his infinite nature, his sovereign power. Romans 1.20, a verse you may be familiar with, says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Also, creation reveals that God is infinitely wise. A unintelligent being could not have created the absolutely intricate details and organisms and everything. It's just mind-blowing, way beyond us. And God's creation reveals his grace. We saw this a few weeks ago when we looked at how God has revealed his gracious providence to everyone in the world. He has given everyone sunshine and rain, a lot more rain for us lately, and Wind and snow and summer, autumn, spring, winter. He's given that. He's revealed these graces to everyone in the world. It says that God is gracious. We don't deserve it, yet God has given us an amazing world in which to live. It's an amazing world. It's beautiful, sustainable, providential, and it renews every year with the seasons. 
That's grace. Creation reveals so many aspects of God's glory to us. Back in Psalm 19, verse 1 also says that God's works are revealed in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Other versions say that creation reveals his handiwork. His handiwork. When Angela and I were on vacation back in January, one of the stops we got off our cruise ship, and there was a market set up right outside the ship where all these vendors, local vendors, were trying to sell us what they had made. And they were selling all kinds of souvenirs for us foreigners. And the people that were selling these souvenirs would do just about everything short of physical harassment to try to get you to buy their stuff. They'd put their arms around you, find out your names, where you're from, try to move you into their shops. And, oh, your name, Matt, Angela, we, we love Canadians. Come on, look at my stuff. One guy said, we love Toronto. The wrong thing to say to people from Ottawa. But uh, just to get where we were going, we had to be pretty rude and ignore them, it seemed, as we just kept walking. But what these people were doing was they were trying to sell their handmade things, these products that they had made. They put their time and energy into making. So jewelry, clothes, trinkets, magnets, figurines, all sorts of stuff that they had made. And they were trying to sell it. Look at this. Look at this. Isn't this awesome? I made this. And you can have it. (laughs) Right? In a sense, this is like what God does with creation. Now, he's not trying to sell us anything. But when we look at creation, he's showing off his handiwork. He's showing off what he's made. He says, look at this. I made this. Isn't it awesome? And many people will rudely ignore that. They'll ignore his proclamation. When we should go back and say, wow. Wow. You made this for us? You made this for us to enjoy? And then we turn and say, You are amazing, God. You're amazing. I firmly believe that it is healthy for us to enjoy creation. It's good for us to get out in it. When we have the correct perspective, we realize that it is displaying the glory of God. And when we appreciate creation, it needs to drive our admiration for its creator. So get outside. Go camping. Go for hikes, picnics, whatever. Just go get outside. It's fun. It's, enjoy it. God made it for us. And then use it as an opportunity to worship. Don't worship creation. Worship the one who created it. Marvel at him. Now, one thing that might bother you is the fact that creation really isn't perfect, is it? We believe that God, as the creator, is perfect, but there are a lot of things wrong with our world. You might complain from anything like um, pollution to global warming to extinct or endangered animal species or environmental abuse that we see. And you say, how can something that's so imperfect display a perfect God to us. And you'd be on to something. Because we believe that creation still displays God's glory, but creation is 
marred by sin. Creation is marred by sin. Our sins against God have affected the perfect creation that God made for us. They've affected us, they've affected the people around us, and they have affected the world itself. And that's tragic. That really is. But we believe that even through this, even though it's marred, God's glory still shines through somehow. It doesn't reflect him perfectly anymore, but it still shows us his glory. And the fact that we can see that at all is amazing. It's amazing. He's left that witness open to us. It's a wonderful proclamation of God to us. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Now, under this fact that God is revealing his glory through creation's proclamation, I believe there are some important things that we need to learn about this proclamation. And the first of these is that this proclamation is a continuous proclamation. It is a continuous proclamation. God's proclamation of himself through creation is continuous and continuing proclamation. Read with me verse 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. David's saying it doesn't end. It just keeps going day after day, night after night. With every sunrise, every sunset, every heat of the day, every cool of the night, it just continues displaying his glory. Have you ever thought of the fact that when we go outside at night and look up at the stars, we're seeing many of the same stars that people have seen throughout history. We see the same stars today, at least if we're in the right spot in the world, that David saw. As he wrote this, looked up in the heavens and said, the heavens declare the glory of God. That's amazing. It just keeps going. No era in history can complain that they didn't have this revelation from God. They do, and they did. Now, this revelation is continuous, but it's not eternal. That's a very important distinction. One day, this proclamation of the current creation that's been continuously witnessing to the glory of God until, until this day, it will end. It will end. And God, at that point, we know from the Bible, will create again. He'll create again. He'll create a new heavens and a new earth that will reflect his glory even more magnificently and beautifully than now. Our God isn't just a creator in the past. Our God's a creator in the future. It's amazing. So this creation is a continuous proclamation, day after day, night after night. Second, it is a universal proclamation. The proclamation of God's glory goes worldwide. It's a universal proclamation. Continue reading with me in verse 3. It says, There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So David's keeping this voice metaphor going of this proclamation that he says it goes all over the world. It crosses language barriers, national borders, oceans of separation. Creation displays God's glory to everyone on earth. The New Living Translation puts it this way. It says, They speak without a sound or a word. 
Their voice is silent in the skies, yet their message has gone out to all the earth and their words to all the world. Now some of you may wonder, if this revelation reveals so much to us about God, could someone be saved from sin and death by seeing this creation alone? By seeing just the revelation that God has displayed in creation, can they be saved through that? Could they know enough about God through knowing this? Now, I could go into a ton of detail here. I actually just wrote a 15-page research paper on this topic for school. So if you're interested in this, you're welcome to read it. I'll just try to really quickly summarize it for you. But looking at what the Bible says about this, I would argue that someone cannot be saved from seeing creation's witness alone. So you can learn all sorts of things. You can learn that there is a God, that he is a glorious creator, that he is powerful, that he is beautiful, majestic, transcendent. He's a creator. He's sovereign, wise, gracious. And if you combine this knowledge with what we know through our consciences, then we're guilty of sinning against this God. And that God is a just God who judges sin. You can learn quite a bit about God. But, you cannot learn about Jesus through this revelation. You cannot learn about Jesus through the revelation of creation. The Bible makes it very clear that we need Jesus in order to be saved. In Romans 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Paul goes on to say, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Get what he's saying? See, the witness of creation... While it's amazing and it's beautiful and it's revealing, it does not reveal enough about God to save people. People need to know that the Creator God came to the world He created. They need to know that. They need to know that He came to the world that He created to die for their sins, paying that price for the sins that they know they're guilty of. They need to trust him to give them mercy and grace through Jesus. This has a, real, a couple really important implications for us. One, if you're here and you haven't heard this before, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. You're guilty before God and deserve to die just like every single one of us. We have all rejected our Creator who so graciously loves us. But He came. He came to earth. He bled and died on a cross to pay that punishment of death meant for you. Meant for me. You only need to accept His sacrifice for you. Believe in Him. Turn from your sins. You cannot rely on yourself. You cannot rely on some other religion or faith. To save you, only Jesus can save you. The second implication is that this just shows the utter importance of evangelism and missions. 
It really is crucial. Are you telling anyone about Jesus? They need to know him. They need to be saved. They cannot be saved without him. Are people going around the world telling those who have never heard they need Jesus? The proclamation of creation definitely can help along the way. It reveals some things about God, and so it makes us more receptive of our Creator when we hear of Him. But they need to hear. Are we telling them? There's one final insight from this passage I want you to see. We've seen that God is, He's revealed Himself through creation. It's continuous, it's universal. And even though it can't save someone on its own, we can still marvel at it. We can still marvel at how amazing creation is. That's the last thing I think we'll see here, that God's proclamation through creation is a marvelous proclamation. It is a marvelous proclamation. God, creation can rightly be marveled at as it reflects God's glory. I know this because this is what David does next in this song. He talks about how the heavens declare the glory of God, they pour forth speech, their voice goes out into all the earth, and then at the end of verse 4 he says this, In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So David here, he chooses to focus on one amazing aspect of creation. And he marvels at it. He describes how God has created the sun in all its majesty. He uses a couple very vivid metaphors to describe the sun. He first says that God has made a tent or pitched a tent in the sun for the sun in the heavens. Verse 4, he says, In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. So he says that God has made a place for the sun to live. And the heavens, the, the absolutely breathtaking and incomprehensible heavens are the sun's home. He's made that for the sun to dwell. It's like its tent. Then he says that the sun is like a bridegroom. Verse 5, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from its pavilion. Now this is, we don't quite understand because it's a cultural thing. But at Hebrew weddings in this era, weddings were a huge seven-day feast and party where everyone got together and just celebrated these weddings. And as part of this feast, a fancy tent was set up at the front where the bride and groom would go to celebrate privately, if you know what I mean. So this is, this is where they would go to celebrate. And so there's definitely some innuendo here behind the verses of what David is saying. It's like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion. And so he's saying the sun is like this, the bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion. I'll try to say it discreetly. This would be the equivalent of saying today, the sun is like a groom on his honeymoon exiting his hotel. Okay? You get it? It's just, he's like, it's radiant. You've ever seen a groom on his honeymoon? He is radiant, he's happy, he's excited, he's rejoicing. And that's what he's saying the sun is like. The final metaphor he uses is comparing the sun to a champion runner. It says, he's like a champion rejoicing to run his course. So imagine one of the world's fastest runners in the Olympics, just creaming his competition and knowing he's going to win and rejoicing in that. This is great, I'm going to win. 
or maybe taking his victory lap, you know, with the flag draped around his shoulders, running around, celebrating. Like, son is like that. It always seems happy to be there. Comes out, and things just are much better. Happy, rejoicing. And then he says in verse 6, The sun rises at one end of the heavens. It makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. He just keeps marveling. How amazing is the sun? Think about it. How amazing is the sun? God put it there. It's radiant. He always seems rejoicing to be there. It's great. Now, talking about creation and how marvelous it is, we could look at so many different things. But let's do what David does here. Let's consider the sun for a few minutes. Of course, now in these days, we know that the sun is actually a star at the center of our solar system. That it's placed there right in the center of our solar system. Everything revolves around it. And it's a huge, perfectly spherical ball of burning plasma gas. Okay? It burns, the scientists say that at the surface of the sun, it burns at 6,000 degrees Celsius. Okay? They say at the core of the sun, it burns probably about 15 million degrees Celsius. That's hot. (laughs) It's powered by continual nuclear explosions at its core. So basically, it's like a supersized, non-stop nuclear bomb in the sky. That's what the sun is in space. If you, and if you added up all the mass in our solar system, so all the planets, all the asteroids, the sun, put them all together, the sun would take up 99.86% of all the mass in the solar system. It's huge. It's 1,392,000 kilometers in diameter, 109 times bigger than the Earth. If the sun was the size of a basketball, the Earth would be the size of an apple seed next to it. And if you were to place it proportionately, say if the basketball was up here at the front of the sanctuary, the apple seed would be just beyond the far wall. Okay? The earth is the perfect distance from the sun to support life, warmth, and seasons. And the sun helps support all life on earth through photosynthesis. Okay? So our earth is very dependent on the sun. It makes our weather on earth. Everything is driven by the sun. It keeps the earth at a temperate climate for us to live at. And no matter what climate you live in, whether it's on the equator or at the Arctic, without the sun, you'd be dead. You would be. The sun even provides the light of the moon, because the moon is this reflection of the sun's light. And the sun has risen and set, figuratively speaking, of course, but risen and set every single day of every single year of history. That's amazing. And if the Lord wills it, it will set tonight and it will rise again tomorrow morning. And David says, it rises at one end of the heavens. It makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. And God is saying, look at the sun. Look at the sun. I made that. Don't you see in some small way my glory reflected in that? The sun's amazing. And to think that there are billions and billions and billions of other stars in our universe as big or bigger than the sun. And God has created and named each one. 
The heavens truly do declare the glory of God. As we close, I want to show you an incredible video that caught my attention a couple weeks ago. A Norwegian photographer, uh, he took a trip up a mountain near the coast of Spain. And he took some time-lapse videos that are absolutely stunning and breathtaking. I was blown away. It got worldwide recognition. Uh, He got on CNN, got publicity. And as I watched the video, I was blown away at the majesty of God displayed in creation. But then I was saddened because this photographer was interviewed on CNN and he talked about the video and as he concluded the video, he said this. He said, I hope that people are inspired by the video to go outside and look at the stars. Go into nature and enjoy it. Now that's all good. But then he concluded, I hope people are inspired to have a personal relationship with nature. Really? That's what you concluded? That misses the entire point. That's not what nature wants from you. Nature is telling us to have a personal relationship with the God who created it all. When we marvel at creation, we need to marvel at its creator. We need to drop to our knees in worship of the one who created it all for his glory and our enjoyment. It's amazing. After I pray, the worship team will be coming up and they'll play a song as the video plays. And then after that, we'll join in together with creation song and sing the praise and glory of our great God. Let's pray. Lord, you are amazing, you are good, you are gracious. And we can just stand before you in awe and say how great you are. We thank you for this wonderful world that you've given us to live in. You didn't need to make this for us, but you did. And we appreciate it. Deeply, deeply appreciate it. We love you. Please drive our affections for you as we see the world around us and its beauty and its glory. Help us to see how glorious you are. How great you are. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.